Good morning. This is Alan Carroll at Carroll Pharmacy in Smithfield, and we are proud to bring you Hope for Today, a program we hope might help you, inspire you, or encourage you and give you hope for today. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Welcome back to another edition of Hope for Today. On February the 21st, 2018, the renowned evangelist from North Carolina, Billy Graham, died at the age of 99. Right after he died, I recorded two programs about his life and his legacy. You will hear the first program today and the second program next week. I'm going to read from different, several different things. Some of you may not get the newspaper, and I have some books where people are thanking him. And my one-year Christian history book, I want to read to you about some of the early beginnings of uh, this famous evangelist. And this is from the one-year Christian history book by Michael and Sharon Rustin, and this is the May 22nd reading. Billy Graham was born into a Christian family in 1918 near Charlotte, North Carolina. He regularly attended church and held to the strong moral values his parents had instilled in him. When Billy was almost 16, a colorful evangelist named Mordecai Ham was conducting services in Charlotte. Billy grudgingly attended a meeting at the urging of his parents. The evangelist intrigued him with his keen sense of humor, yet harsh condemnation of sin. Billy returned night after night. Graham recalled, I became deeply convicted about my sinfulness and rebellion and confused. How could this evangelist be talking to me of all people? I had been baptized as a baby, had learned the shorter catechism word perfect, and had been confirmed. I was even the vice president of my youth group in our church. What was slowly dawning on me during those weeks was the miserable realization that I did not know Jesus Christ for myself. I could not depend on my parents' faith. One night, when Dr. Ham gave the invitation to accept Jesus, Billy responded. He was guided through a simple prayer in which he committed himself to Christ. That night, in his room, he prayed for the first time without having been told to do so. Graham felt called to be a preacher, and his evangelistic ministry expanded rapidly. He began holding citywide crusades by the late 1940s. He first attracted national attention at his 1949 Los Angeles crusade, in which several famous people were converted. Five years later, he was on his way to England for the Greater London Crusade. There had been many months of planning, and this was to be his largest and longest crusade yet. While on the boat, he was confronted by a radio news report that stated that a Labour member of Parliament would challenge in Commons the admission of Billy Graham to England on the grounds that he was interfering in British politics under the guise of religion. Apparently, material distributed in England about the upcoming crusade contained a statement condemning socialism. In Britain, the term socialism was almost synonymous with the Labour Party. The English took this as a political insult. Graham issued apologies to Parliament and explained to the press that the publication condemned secularism in general, not a particular political view. Although the incident was stressful, it brought much more publicity to the crusade than ever could have been purchased. March 1, 1954, the first day of the crusade brought rain, sleet, and doubts. Graham wasn't sure if people would come. The arena held 12,000, but an hour before the crusade, only 2,000 people had arrived. He and his staff continued to pray. 
and when he arrived at the arena, it was filled past capacity. At the invitation, 200 came forward. For three months, Graham held nightly meetings. Each night brought larger crowds, with the police turning thousands away. The press was amazed at Graham's ability to reach people from every facet of society. May 22, 1954, the last day of the Greater London Crusade, Graham was exhausted. The final meeting was held in a stadium seating 100,000. The weather was terrible, but every seat was filled, and an additional 22,000 were allowed to sit on the playing field. Graham preached on, Choose this day whom you will serve. He did not know where he was going to find the strength to preach. But as he looked out over the crowd of 122,000 wet, cold people, God gave him the strength. Over 2,000 people came forward that night. In all, more than 38,000 people made professions of faith during the Greater London Crusade. As their bus slowly made its way through the shouting, waving crowds leaving the stadium, Graham and his team sang together, Praise God from whom all blessings flow. And under the reflections, it says, what do you believe has been the secret to Billy Graham's success? God called him to a role that is unique to him, but he has a role for each one of us. What can you learn from Billy Graham's life? And this verse from 2 Timothy 4, 5, work at bringing others to Christ. And certainly we saw that in Billy Graham's life. In the newspaper this week, Ann Graham Lotz was reflecting on the life of her father. And for those of you who might not have seen this, I'm going to read what she was talking about, about her father's legacy. This is Ann Graham Lotz speaking. My father's legacy is one that encompasses the world and engulfs my own life. When I think of him, I don't think of Billy Graham, the public figure. I think of my daddy, the one who was always a farmer at heart, who loved his dogs and his cat who followed the weather patterns almost as closely as he did world events, who wore old blue jeans, comfortable sweaters, and a baseball cap, who loved lukewarm coffee, sweet iced tea, one scoop of ice cream, and a plain hamburger from McDonald's, who was interested in everything and everyone from the small to the great, whose mind remembered details that even a computer would have trouble recalling. But when I think of him, I also think of his message because he was immersed in it, saturated in it. He was his message, a simple man who had responded to God's love love by placing his faith in Jesus, receiving the assurance that his sins were forgiven, that he would not perish but would have everlasting life. Simple faith, faith that now matters more than anything else. For years, over his head as he preached was the banner that quoted the words of Jesus, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus completed that sentence by saying that no one comes to the Father but by me. Based on what Jesus said, Daddy is safely with the Father in heaven. Daddy not only claimed Jesus as the only way to God, he lived by the truth publicly on platforms and privately behind closed doors, and is now enjoying real life. I have often stated that I was raised by a single parent because ministry took my father away from our family for weeks and months at a time. Daddy estimated that he was gone from home approximately 60% of his children's growing up years. Now he has left again. This time he will not be coming back 
at least not until Jesus does too. While he may be physically absent and his voice silent, I am confident that his message will continue to reverberate throughout the generations to come. My prayer on this day of his move to our Father's house is that his death will be a rallying cry, that tens of thousands of pastors, teachers, evangelists, and ordinary men and women will rise up to take his place, that they will take up his message like a baton being passed in a relay race and faithfully pass it on to those with whom they come in contact. Because Daddy's message is God's message, and it's a message of genuine hope for the future, of love for the present, of forgiveness for the past. It's a message when received that brings fresh beginning, unshakable joy, unexplainable peace, eternal significance, meaning, and purpose to life, and opens heaven's door. It was this message which Daddy carried to the world that penetrated my own heart as a young girl and has created in me a personal, passionate resolve to communicate it myself to as many people as possible. And so even as my tears seem to be unending, I silently rededicate my life to picking up and passing on the baton. Would you do the same? And those were the words of Anne Graham Lotz upon her father's death. And then I want to read you this other article here that was in the paper. The title of the article was King Credited Graham for Civil Rights Successes. And uh, this was written by Aaron Moody. One of Billy Graham's greatest compliments came from a man he knew on a nickname basis as Mike. Most people know that person as the Reverend Martin Luther King, Jr. King once said of Graham, Had it not been for the ministry of my good friend, Dr. Billy Graham, my work in the civil rights movement would not have been as successful as it has been. Graham died on Wednesday morning at his Montreat home after years of battling health issues. He was 99. Graham, in his autobiography, Just As I Am, recalled meeting King during a 1957 New York crusade meeting. Though Graham was criticized for not marching with Martin Luther King, Jr. in the 1960s, King thanked Graham for sharing a platform with him at Madison Square Garden as part of the crusade. King led the invocation at the event and called the discussion the two shared during the trip one of the high points of my life. In a letter to Graham a month later, King praised Graham for working to integrate crusades. You have courageously brought the Christian gospel to bear on the question of race, King wrote Graham on August the 31st, 1957. Your tremendous popularity, your extensive influence, and your powerful message give you an opportunity in the area of human rights above almost any other person that we can point to. After King's assassination in Memphis in 1968, Graham was quoted as saying the country had lost a social leader and a prophet. I felt his death would be one of the greatest tragedies in our history, Graham said of Martin Luther King Jr. And now I want to go to a couple of books that I have. One is Thank You, Billy Graham, where his grandchildren had people write in, I guess they did it by email on Facebook or something anyway, to write in and say thank you to Billy Graham for something that had happened in their life that, that had meaning for them. So I'm going to read you two or three of those, and then I'm going to read you a reflection in another book written by Ann Graham Lotz. And this is from Thank You, Billy Graham, a tribute to the life and ministry of Billy Graham. And the name of this one is It's Time to Come Home. And the name that signed it was Sandra. I remember it like it was yesterday. 
I was living in St. Paul in 1990 and had just found out that my father had cancer. I was sitting at my kitchen table thinking about what I could do. I was the younger of two girls, and my sister, a single parent, had a young child of her own. I knew she could not take off time from work, nor would she be able to give the support my mother would need to take care of my father and his illness. I knew they would need a lot of help, possibly 24 hours a day, and this was going to be the ordeal of a lifetime. Having been an oncology hospice nurse, this was difficult because I wanted to be with them and do the things nurses do. As I was sitting in the quiet, I heard a Billy Graham crusade come on television. I did not realize that I was unconsciously listening. My mother had listened to Billy Graham crusades when I was growing up, but I had never spent time listening to them. As the topic of the crusade was being introduced, I looked up at the television and I was stunned. The topic of the crusade, and I believe it was also printed on the TV screen, was, It is time to come home. At that very moment, I had peace, and I knew exactly what I had to do. God told me it was time to go home. A decision was never so easy to make in my life, as I knew that God was talking to me. Those few words changed my life. I called my mother and father that night and told them, and two weeks later, I moved home. God was so good to me. He even had a job lined up for me when I got there. Due to that Billy Graham crusade, I found out how much I needed God. Since that day, I have understood that I depend on God every day of my life. I realized I can do nothing in my life without Him. I watch Billy Graham now every time I can. I tell this story often, especially if it might be to someone who needs to hear about God. I want to say thank you to him for just being there, as I know I'm not the only person who was changed for a lifetime by his hard work and his crusades. And then I'm going to read you another one. And this one is the title of it is, I'll See You in Heaven, and it didn't even have a signed name. I have been a lifelong supporter of yours. I grew up in a Christian home, but when I became a teenager, I drifted away from the church and the Bible. I was totally immersed in the world. After two children and two marriages, I could no longer ignore the vacant spot in my heart. I started attending church and reading the Bible, but I seemed hesitant to totally commit myself to Christ. I felt I should publicly commit myself to Him. I promised the Lord that if Billy Graham came to my area again, I would go and give myself to the Lord. I was thinking this wouldn't happen because... You rarely made crusade appearances anymore. I was utterly shocked to read in the paper soon after that you were going to be at Qualcomm Stadium in San Diego. The Lord did his part of the bargain, and I kept mine. On Mother's Day 2003, my son Gary and I attended that San Diego crusade, and I came forth for my Lord Jesus Christ. A year later, I was baptized. Billy, I will never forget you or what you said as you walked off that stage that night. You said, I'll see you in heaven. I'm looking forward to that, Mr. Graham. Love you. And then this one, Saved from Hell on Earth. This was unsigned also. And this is to Billy Graham. Sometime in my 20s, I heard Billy's message and I felt I accepted Christ. I worked with my church youth group and planned to go to missionary school, but Satan took over and I listened to him and went down a long road of living in hell for many years. There was an intermittence of years when I tried living a moral life and prayed. Then, unfortunately, I spent years committing adultery, doing drugs, and drinking all the roads that lead to hell. In my neighborhood, there were some Christian families that took pity on my son, Mark, 
praise the Lord for that, that they took pity on him. It was through their prayers and their work with my son that he went to church and accepted Christ. I continued on my road to self-destruction until I hit the bottom and was on the way to losing my husband and my son and my home. I decided to give God another chance or commit suicide. I called my neighbor Kay, who had been witnessing to me, and asked to go to church with her. I told her my situation, so she was praying that I would not change my mind about going to church. I had no intentions of doing so. I had to give God one more chance. When the pastor completed his sermon and asked for those who wanted to give their lives to Christ, I knew I had to go forward. I was weeping so hard that I could not talk to my friend, so she went with me. We went and talked to the pastor, and I just kept nodding my head to all that was said. I also was baptized that day. To this day, I still remember the cleansing I felt and the weight that was lifted off of me when I came up from the water. I knew then that I was free from the past. That was June the 7th, 1981. I truly believe that through all the things I did during my days of hell on earth, as I call it, God never let me go. I thank Billy Graham for that day long ago. Thank you for sharing your love for Christ to all of us on TV and your dedication to our Lord. And maybe I have time to read one more. This is from Ben and Linda. This is not a story, but a sincere note of appreciation. My wife Linda and I have been in full-time ministry among the ranks of Independent Baptist for more than 39 years. We wanted to offer a word of thanks to Billy Graham for clear preaching of the simple gospel of Jesus Christ, who offers salvation by grace through faith without any works of righteousness on our part, freely offered to all who come unto God by him. Another thing we appreciate and admire about Billy Graham is that in these years of ministry, there has never been a scandal attached to his name. This brings much honor and glory to our Heavenly Father and helps the cause of Christianity greatly. To God be the glory, great things he hath done. And now I want to read you some words from Billy Graham that he, when he was preaching to five presidents at the funeral of Richard Nixon. So this is how he started John Dunn said that there's a democracy about death. It comes equally to us all and makes us all equal when it comes. And I think today every one of us ought to be thinking about our own time to die because we too are going to die. And we're going to have to face Almighty God with the life that we lived here. There comes a time when we have to realize that life is short. And in the end, the only thing that really counts is not how others see us here but how God sees us and what the record books of heaven have to say. For the believer who has been to the cross, death is no frightful leap into the dark, but is an entrance into a glorious new life. And then he goes on to read the words of Amazing Grace. And then he says that the hymn Amazing Grace was written about 200 years ago by an Englishman named John Newton. He was a cruel man, a captain of a slave ship, but one night in a fierce storm he turned to God and committed his life to Christ. Newton not only became a preacher of the gospel, but he influenced William Wilberforce and others in Parliament to bring an end to the slave trade. John Newton came to know the miracle of God's amazing grace, and it changed his life. And it changed our lives as well. There is hope beyond the grave because Jesus Christ has opened the door to heaven for us by his death and resurrection. 
Then I want to read you this interesting account. The following is a story that I received from Billy Graham in one of his letters, and this was written by one of his friends. It is a true story and tells of the supernatural power of God to work things out in a marriage that was going wrong. When there are problems, we should always turn to God. And this is the quote. I recently heard the story of a mother in an African nation who came to Christ and grew strong in her commitment and devotion to the Lord. And so, as often happens, however, this alienated her from her husband, and over the years he grew to despise and hate her new devotion to Christ. His anger and bitterness reached their climax when he decided to kill his wife, their two children, and himself, unable to live in such self-inflicted misery. But he needed a motive— He decided that he would accuse her of stealing his precious keys, the keys to the bank, the house, and the car. Early one afternoon, he left his bank and headed for the tavern. His route took him across a footbridge extended over the headwaters of the Nile River. He paused above the river and dropped the keys. He spent all afternoon drinking and carousing. Later that afternoon, his wife went to the fish market to buy the evening meal. She purchased a large Nile perch. As she was gutting the fish, to her astonishment, in its belly were her husband's keys. How had they gotten there? What were the circumstances? She did not know, but she cleaned them up and hung them on the hook. Sufficiently drunk, the young banker came home that night and pounded open the front door, shouting, Woman, where are my keys? Already in bed, she got up, picked them off the hook in the bedroom, and handed them to her husband. When he saw the keys by his own testimony, he immediately became sober and was instantly converted. He fell on his knees sobbing, asked for forgiveness, and confessed Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. So as I come to near the end of this program, I have this little brochure that comes out from the Billy Graham Association, and it's called Steps to Peace with God. And during all these days when we have been hearing maybe portions of Billy Graham's sermon and we hear about him and how, uh, you know, he says that we can be changed if we believe in Christ and and accept him as our Lord and Savior, uh, I'm going to ask you, will you turn, if you have never accepted Christ, will you turn to Jesus Christ and receive him right now? Here is how you can receive Christ. The first thing is you need to admit your need. In other words, that you say, I'm a sinner, I've been running my own life. You must, number two, be willing to turn from your sin. Number three, must trust that Jesus Christ died for you on the cross and rose from the grave. And number four, that you would invite Jesus Christ to come into your life and lead you into a new relationship with God. In other words, receive him as your Lord and Savior. If you would like to accept Christ and receive him right now, then I want you to bow your head, and I'm going to read this, and you repeat these words after me, and then if you accept Christ, then you're going to be a Christian, and if you were to die today, uh, or whenever you die, then you will can know that you are going to heaven. You may not change your feelings right away, but I'm going to tell you, if you, if you pray this prayer sincerely, he will accept you, and here it is. Dear Lord Jesus, I know I am a sinner. And I ask for your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead. I turn from running my own life, and now I ask you to run it. I invite you to come into my heart and life. I trust and follow you as my Lord and Savior. In your name, amen. And I hope that there's some of you that have today 
surrendered your life to Christ, and I hope that if you have, that you will start, you'll get you a Bible or start reading the one that you have, that you will start praying to God. You might even start going to church and letting God guide your life. Tell others that you now have peace with God because that will give you a peace that you can't get anywhere else and that you would demonstrate by the new life that you have that you love God and that you are concerned for others. And I want to leave you with this verse today, John 3:16. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Thank you for listening. for anyone to describe the impact that Billy Graham has had in this city, in our state, in our nation, and throughout the world. Of all those who bring this message of peace from the Prince of Peace, Billy Graham is in the forefront. I've been privileged to witness and see the Christ-like way that he invites persons of every faith to come together in prayer, help change the world, is a spiritual gift to all of us. In the scripture, Jesus tells us that the most important commandment is to love God with all our heart. And then he said that the second is, quote, like unto it, to love your neighbor as yourself. I have seen him do that in private. brings together a group of people from diverse backgrounds to a lodge in the mountains and makes them feel free to talk about something as personal as their relationship with God. And what impassions a couple like Billy and Ruth Graham to spend their entire lives telling others across the world that they can know God too, really know Him for themselves? What causes a George Beverly Shea or Cliff Barrows to sing their hearts out, to put music into the souls of someone who might not have a song? Why does it matter to them? Think about it this way. When you're lost or lonely, far from family and feeling like the bottom has dropped out of life, the best thing to do is go home. But what if you left home a long time ago, and now you feel your place at the table has surely been removed by now, and the vacancy you left has long since been filled? What if you're too embarrassed or too proud to take the risk of showing up now in a place where you used to belong? Now let's think about the family. No matter how many children are home, the truth is no one could ever fill the empty place at the family's heart left by one who is away. And just maybe tonight, the father is so lonely for you, he can hardly stand it. He wants you to know, son, that no matter where you've been, and daughter, no matter how much foreign ground you've covered, he will never really rest at night until everybody's home. So what you've experienced here on the mountain is the family, gathered in a circle, taking hands, connecting with the Father, connecting with each other, drawing strength and acceptance and encouragement and joy 
but they're hesitant to start the dance until you're in your place. The circle is incomplete without you. So they tell family stories, they sing the well-loved songs, and they wait. They just keep feeling that if they wait a bit longer, you'll come too. Don't worry about fixing up. This is a come-as-you-are party. But the gift they hope to exchange is you. Listening to Hope for Today, brought to you each Sunday morning by Carol Pharmacy. We hope the message today has helped and encouraged you. If we can ever help you with your prescriptions, over-the-counter medications, or vaccines, we hope you will come in to our family-owned and operated independent pharmacy, where outstanding customer service is our goal. 